Hey, all you intrepid architects out there. If you believe design can change the world, then you've found your humans here on this show, Architecting. My name is Angela Mazzi, and I'm an architect and career coach who's figured out how to live my passion while claiming a successful architecture career and lifestyle. This show is about the architect as a person and will help you bypass the status quo traps in our profession while teaching you how to make an impact in your career. We need to stand in our power as architects and use our skills to make great places. If you're with me, let's get architecting. Hey there, Bright Lights. It's Angela here, and I hope you are having an amazing day. Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about hope versus certainty. And I think this is a really important topic because we all aspire to certain things. And in that aspiration, there is certainly an optimistic energy, and a hope for something to work. However, when we hope, it becomes passive. And in that passivity, we give up our power to make it happen. And we think that just wanting it enough or saying that we want it or asking for it is all we need to do. On the other hand, certainty is about knowing. It's about believing that this is your no matter what, that you were meant to do this, built to do this, that there is no option to fail. Those are very different mindsets. In the mindset of hope, you try to take action and maybe you don't get the response you had hoped for, right? So you give up and you say, "Uh, I knew I shouldn't have thought I could do that. I knew that wasn't really for me. I was dreaming too big. I was reaching too far. I knew it. I knew it. I should have just stayed where I was and kept my nose to the grindstone, right? How many of us have had that experience where Someone made us feel wrong for having tried to grow and stretch ourselves and become more than what we are, and we didn't get there. We didn't make it. And so now we just feel like all the people that would have doubted us are sitting there saying, see, I told you so. The truth is, in our own heads, we are the ones saying that to ourselves the loudest. We are the ones with the limiting beliefs who dared ourselves, and when the dare didn't work out, are now scolding ourselves and saying, see, I told you so. Of course you couldn't do that. Of course you had no right to think that that was possible for you. Why would you do that? In the energy of certainty, when you encounter failure, you just say, well, that's just one more way I know that doesn't work. What else could I try? You say, that person wasn't interested, but maybe another person will be. You say, that job wasn't right for me. It's not letting me have the opportunities I want. Maybe another one will. 
You say that conference didn't accept my speaking proposal, but it doesn't mean that I have no right to speak. It doesn't mean that my topic is bad. It just means that for whatever reason, they didn't pick me. And the truth is we get caught up in our own thinking, our own fears about what's possible for us. And so we judge a failure way too harshly. For the example of the conferences, I've had the opportunity to be on many conference juries. And I can tell you, like anything that's juried, it is a very flawed process. It is very much the point of view of the particular individuals who comprise the jury. It is very much who else submitted something that year and how alike or different your proposal is to theirs. It is very much the themes that want to be highlighted and whether what you submitted was a match for that. It's even very much whether one particular person chooses to fall in love with what you turned in and really talk it up and advocate it. So when you, when you understand the process by which people look at pitches for conferences or applications, anything that you are doing where you are putting yourself out there and you realize how many other things are being juggled to make a decision, you will understand how there is nothing personal. There's nothing to get attached to when you get turned down. And that if you were to go back to that same conference or that same person a year later, they might just happen to view it differently and they might say yes, but you don't even have to wait that long, right? There are other opportunities out there. And when you have the certainty that what you're doing is what you're meant to do, you don't give up. You don't take a no as a never. You also course correct. You learn from mistakes. You keep evolving the idea. And then one day you stick the landing. All right. So to help you see this through stories, because we all learn much better through stories, I wanted to share my family story because so I wanted to share my family story with you today because this episode is going to air right before Father's Day and hope versus certainty very much aligned with getting into a more masculine kind of a perspective and energy. And I don't want you to get caught up in the word masculine. We all have both masculine and feminine in our makeup regardless of how we identify Masculine is really about celebrating energy of implementation, the doing. In my life, I had so many amazing men. My father, my grandfathers, even one of my great-grandfathers, great-uncles, who were very, very influential role models and advocates for me. One of the biggest lessons that you will hear in all of their stories is that you don't get the thing done by hoping you can do it. Get it done by having certainty, by deciding that you will do it no matter what. 
Many of you have heard my story. I'm the grandchild of Italian immigrants. My parents were the first people in their families to go to college, and my ancestral family faced a lot of hardship and poverty, both back in Italy when they had to make the brave decision to risk everything, leave who they loved, come to America to start a new life. But once they got here, they still encountered prejudices and struggles to make a life. And I heard all of their stories growing up. Also felt in those stories the grit and the determination because my grandparents and my parents never talked about it being hard. They talked about how they chased their dreams. And they did that because they kept asking, how can I, every time they encountered an obstacle. So I know two of my great-grandfather's stories. My mother's mother's father, who lived till I was 25 and knew him pretty well, and my mother's father's father. And they both had very interesting stories because they had traveled to the United States in both cases right after my grandparents were born. So my grandparents didn't get to America with their mothers until they were around ages six or seven. So they grew up in their early childhood not even knowing their fathers who had come to America to work to get citizenship, to build enough of a life that they could bring their families over. So the first story is about my great-grandfather, who is my mother's father's father, named John. And John was a very intelligent man who spoke four languages and had a job with kind of a form of the Italian National Police, the Carbonieri. But he and his family lived in a very small town. There was no path to upward mobility, and he invested in the idea of the American dream. He and his brother came over, leaving their wives and young children until they could get citizenship and build a life. Unfortunately, the kinds of jobs available to Italian immigrants at the time were in factories or mills or foundries. But because my great-grandfather spoke English fluently, he would very quickly get promoted to foreman and be able to help his friends out by hiring them. When my great-grandmother and grandfather were able to come over, they were able to begin building a good life. She had three other children. Unfortunately, working in a foundry in those days, there weren't a lot of occupational safety measures in place, and my grandfather was injured, and as a result of the traumatic brain injury, suffered epilepsy and wasn't able to work from his mid-40s onward, and the family had to help take care of him. But what he did pass along, despite that hardship, was lessons to all four of his children about appreciating life, loving life, dreaming big, and going for it. He was just such an example of seizing the day. He really couldn't live on his own, and after my grandmother died, his youngest daughter and her family took care of him. And my cousin would tell the story of how every day he and his grandfather would have a snack. And my great-grandfather would 
peel an apple very slowly in one long spiral strip all the way around the apple. And they would cut it up and enjoy it and talk. And my grandfather died when my cousin was only about five. And about a week later, he asked his father for an apple. And my uncle just picked an apple out of the fruit bowl and handed it to him. And he started crying and couldn't figure out, what's wrong with you? Why are you crying? And he's like, this isn't how you eat an apple. Just that small act, that small act of making a ritual out of peeling an apple gave meaning and specialness and made it an occasion to have a snack. How many of us take the time to do that, to really invest in special moments, right? The mindfulness of it all, because how you do anything is how you do everything. So that mindful deliberation, such a powerful lesson. That willingness to dream big and go for it and not give up on life even when life gets hard. That willingness to have the courage of convictions that he taught to his children, so powerful. And my grandfather, his son, very much was imbued with that attitude. I can only describe my grandfather, who went by Howard, that was his American name, as a magic maker. The guy lived the hell out of life. If you've ever uh, read that book, Die Empty, which just says, do everything, leave no stone unturned, that is how my grandfather lived his life. He wanted to have every experience. He wanted to live in joy, and he wanted to make that magic for other people. My mother told me when she and her brother were kids and commercial flights had become available economically, my grandfather actually purchased a short airline ride for them, drove them to the airport, and then drove to the city they were flying to to pick them up. The only purpose of this trip was so they could say they got to ride in an airplane as soon as it was possible to ride on an airplane. And that's just the way he was. I remember when I was six, he and my grandmother took me to California and he just thought of every little detail that would delight me. I mean, I had this red Volkswagen toy car that I used to love. He made sure to rent a red Volkswagen Beetle, which was so exciting. It was like my toy came to life. And we stayed in the Disneyland Hotel and we rode the monorail in. I mean, he just made every, every moment so magic. He would say to me all the time, affirmations about being a critical thinker and an independent thinker and not accepting the premise of what other people say you should be doing, but instead following your heart. To the point where it actually got me in trouble when I was three years old and first went to school and thought I could do whatever I wanted and told the teacher that in no uncertain terms. That didn't go over so well. Teaching me that you don't have to compromise your life that you get to dream big, you get to live your best life. You just have to 
put yourself out there and do it and go for it. My grandfather also really believed that children should never be sheltered, but instead allowed to experience life, which has become a big part of my own parenting style. So no matter where he went or what he did, he took me with him and he taught me about it. He let me stay up till two in the morning with him, puttering around the house. He just didn't really care about what people said you should do or was proper to do. He lived in the moment. And, you know, I learned to paint because he'd hand me the paintbrush. How to use tools because he bought me kid-sized tools and let me play with scraps of wood and nails. He also deeply, deeply wanted me to be able to express myself to my fullest potential unapologetically without concerns about what anyone else would think. I remember him saying, if you have to use someone else's head, you might as well cut your own off. Nobody but you knows what's right for you. So listen to your heart. Follow your dreams and don't let your critics ever drag you down. So now we'll flip to my other great-grandfather, who I knew he lived till I was in my mid-20s. He was my mother's mother's father. And Tony was a character. He was the life of the party. He was stubborn to a fault. But this man did not believe in lack. He created so much abundance in his life, even with limited resources, because he wasn't afraid to take chances. He had an opportunity to buy a dump truck at one point, and that was how he got his family through the Great Depression. My grandmother never remembered feeling poor at all. They always had everything they needed and the latest of everything, even though they by no means were wealthy, because with a dump truck, he could haul coal at a time when most people had coal-burning furnaces in their homes. He could haul other things, and he could get paid for doing that. And what was even better was if people couldn't pay him in cash, they would pay him in goods and services. So my grandmother remembered one time they got a whole pig from a farmer, and that gave them meat for many months. Or they were given, you know, furniture that was handmade, other kinds of things that they didn't have to buy them because that was the way that people were able to pay for their services. And in fact, that's how my grandparents met one another was my great-grandparents on my grandfather's side were customers of Tony's. They got to talking and decided that their kids should meet. So, you know, he really was a great example of someone who just had this utter zest for life and did not believe in lack. And as a result, he didn't have lack. And his children always had that same amazing abundance mindset, an abundance of friends, an abundance of family, the things you need, the things that matter, knowing they would always be there for you. So I'm going to flip to my dad's side of the family. And I didn't know any of my great-grandparents on that side because my grandfather's father died when he was very young. And his 
mother's parents were dead long before I was born, so I only knew my grandfather. But Sam, who I named my own son after, was a brilliant man. I would love to think in a different time he would have been an engineer, maybe even an architect. This guy was so creative and so resourceful. He was just 13 years old when his mother had saved up her life savings and put him on a boat from a little town called Reggio Calabria in Italy, very rural area, and sent him to America. He knew no one, and he did not speak English. He could only speak Italian, only had a partial education, but she was so afraid something bad would happen to him because at the time, Italy was at war with Ethiopia, and being in the southernmost part of Italy, she felt very threatened. So she made an ultimate sacrifice to give her child an opportunity. He took it balls on. I mean, he lied about his age. He managed to meet people, get a job as a cook in the railroad, travel all over the country, take what most people would have collapsed under the pressure of an impossible situation, and instead see the possibilities there. See how he could instead of how he couldn't. I remember as a kid, every time we'd go to my grandparents' house, I would just marvel at his inventions. Because whenever he couldn't do something, he just invented a solution for it. He had this, it looked like a coffee can on a stick that he would use to water hanging plants because he was not a very tall man and he couldn't reach. So he found a way to make something that worked. Or he had nailed the lids of baby food jars to a cabinet, bottom of a cabinet, above his tool bench. And in each jar were different kinds of screws or nuts or bolts. Or you could just screw them into the bottom of the cabinet. And they were all there on display. So you could see everything you needed. It was all organized. Nothing ever was a jumbled mess. And this quiet unassuming little man who worked in his garden and smoked his pipe had the heart of a great warrior. Take life in stride, see challenges as opportunities, quietly neutralize problems. What enabled my father to believe, even though he grew up in a very poor family during the Great Depression, even though he had to work in a butcher shop plucking chickens as a child as a way to help his family out financially, that he had permission to dream that he could be a doctor. And he worked very hard in school, saved his money. Really say that this is my no matter what dream. This is my no compromises life. I think it really was the fact that his parents believed in him unwaveringly that helped him go from hope to certainty that I will be a doctor. You know how I talked about certainty perseveres. In the days that my dad was applying to medical school, a lot of medical schools discriminated against students, and frankly, they didn't want immigrants in their schools. So he was turned down by many medical schools. 
he finally found Kirksville College of Osteopathic Medicine in Missouri that was willing to take a chance on him and accept him into their program. He not only graduated from medical school, started his own practice, and had patients who were grandchildren of patients of his. That's the kind of loyalty that he inspired because who wants to go to a doctor that's just doing it for a living? You want to go to the doctor who is so passionate and so invested in being a doctor that your well-being is their dream. It's what they're living for. It's why they're here. Don't we all wish we had a doctor like that? Not only did my father serve his patients well, but he went on to be the director of the physical therapy department at the osteopathic hospital in our town. He also served several stints as chief of staff, and he helped found the College of Osteopathic Medicine and Ohio University. He really paid it forward in so many ways because he wanted other people to be touched by this too. Other people who had this dream to know that it was possible for them. All of these men, all of these stories, these incredible, incredible stories of certainty, of never giving up, of believing in yourself. Growing up, I could just feel them pouring into me everything they had learned in these incredible life journeys, all of their wisdom, how hard they worked to make sure that I had every single advantage. If they could do all that they did, how could I, with all of the advantages that they gave me, that they made for me, all of themselves, all of their wisdoms, all the life experiences that they poured into me, how could I not also pursue relentlessly being my best self? I want to leave you today with a song that I love by an artist called Lissy. I really wish I could play it for you, but because of copyright, I can't. I will put a link to the song in the show notes, though, because I really, really want you to go listen to it. This song really kind of sums up that generational culmination. I am a piece of Tony and John and Sam and Howard and James, not just their genetics, their hopes, their fears, their conviction, their willingness to pursue their dreams, and their willingness to be certain even in the face of adversity, even when they were turned down, even when they were discriminated against, even when it didn't seem possible. I'm going to read you just a portion of the lyrics of this song because I really want to end the show thinking about the, the beauty of certainty of knowing that you are love, that you have been given every gift you need. It's inside of you, and you just need to do it. I've lost all of these amazing men before I even turned 40, and 
I like to think in the moments of my great crises of certainty that they're up here cheering me on. I know your heart's been broken, but martyrs never open doors. The world is yours. Carry this torch and use your voice. Run, ragged and wrecked, catching a tiger, baiting a bully. Was this my idea? Is this a mistake? Why did you take me here? Mom is here and your papa too. And we are so darn proud of you. All of us who turned into you, we're sure hoping that you pull on through. All of us turned into you. Yeah, we hope you pull on through. Thanks for being part of this episode of Architecting. If you enjoyed the show, join our community on Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn to keep up with what's in the show pipeline, including a behind-the-scenes look at my architecture lifestyle. Feel free to share your content ideas. Love to hear your feedback. You can also visit architectingpodcast.com to download free career content and learn about my classes, book, and coaching programs. Until next time, stay inspired. (laughs) 